Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And Kobus, today we're not going far from you. In fact, probably just to the other side of campus. Uh, Barry Van Wick, who's the project coordinator at WITS at the China Africa Reporting Project in the journalism department at WITS uh, on campus with you. Barry, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. It is fantastic to have you on the show, Barry, in part because we're going to be talking about journalism uh, and, the, and the, the practice of journalism covering China, Africa. And the reason why we're thrilled to have a representative from, from the VITS China Africa Reporting Project is in part because they're just about to launch a really amazing piece of writing. It's called Trailblazers, the Best of the VITS China Africa Reporting Project, 2009 to 2014. And it's a collection of 17 articles. Articles. It's about 100 pages of some of the best reporting that you're going to see on China Africa. Uh, and what it is, it's the f- different fellows who've gone through the VITS China Africa Reporting Project uh, program. And through this program, they get sent all over Africa to cover different aspects of the Sino African relationship. And what Barry and his team there have done is they've kind of culled the best. Uh, and I hate to say the best in part because I imagine that there was a lot oh. of good uh, journalism that you some had to of the best. some of the best exactly because that implies that the others weren't the best. But uh, just it's amazing. And here's what I'm going to say before, and I'll stop gushing about this. If you are new to the China Africa story, if you're a journalist covering the China Africa story, um, this is going to be the best kind of resource for you to get a good sense of the big broad issues. And in part, what you're going to get are Chinese voices and African voices, and that's what's so unique about this collection of writing is that in one spot you're getting international, China, and Africa all together. So, um, Barry, let's kind of step back a little bit from the book and talk a little bit about the VITS China Africa Reporting Project for those people who aren't familiar. It was a center that was launched in 2009 in part because of what you write in the preface that there was a realization that despite the growing economic, social, and political links between China and Africa, the journalism didn't seem to be keeping up with it. The journalism um, was still very, very polarized back in 2009. A lot of journalists, particularly coming from the West, had these embedded narratives that the Chinese are either, you know, neo-imperialist, neo-colonialist, the Africans are victims, uh, you know, all of these wonderful types of stereotypes kind of thrown together and kind of pushed out as reporting. Here we are now, seven years later. Um, how would you assess the journalism today and based on kind of where we are in the China-Africa relationship? Eric, I can tell you what the, what the intention was with the project and with the experiences that we've had over the last few years. Um, really with the project, what we, as you, as you rightly say there with the preface, it says that we had that problem that office in China, and you guys will know that you ha- well, often in China, in, uh, in China, Africa, you know, the journalism, there's this problem that it's either one or the other, or it's some kind of struggle, or it's some kind of, you know, it's China versus the U.S., or China is the imperial power, or, you know, you've got all these things going around, but, uh, going around. but at the project, what we tried to do was really to to encourage journalists to take a different approach, not to do that kind of 
that kind of sensationalist, that kind of you know adversarial sort of style, but really to speak to communities on the ground, to go on the ground, to speak to actually people who are participating in these events, who are seeing these events on the ground in Africa. That really is the thing that we have been encouraged, encouraging journalists to, to do. And also at the, t- at the same time, one should also say, as you guys will also know, that it's really not always so easy to report about China. China is a sort of a very complex country. It's a very complex, uh, the proposition that it provides to Africa. You know, the way the deals are done in Africa, these things are not always the easiest thing to, to report. You know, you guys have covered this at, uh, at, at length in your podcast. So that's really what we've tried to do with the journalists. And you can see with this uh, publication, this Trailblazers book, uh, this really comes out in this, what we've tried to do, the thing that we've tried to encourage is to get journalists to actually go on the ground in Africa to speak to the communities that are being affected, not to try and do the sensationalist thing. We actually encourage journalists, or can I say, we discourage them to do the sort of grand narrative style to say, take a big perspective on China-Africa relations. Instead of that, we try to have them to look at local communities and actually say what's happening on the ground. And yeah, as you say, it was some of the best are in these in this in this collection. Um, so that's what we've tried to do, and you can see some of that in the Trailblazers book. And you know what's what's also great for you know from our side is that a lot of the people that we've been that we've been interviewing through the years have also shown up in the book. You know, kind of unfrequently we interviewed them about the the, the pieces that they that 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 China Africa Reporting Project supported. So people like Simon Allison, like Jenny Marsh, Bob Wekesa, um, James Wan, and so on. All of these people, you know, kind of it's actually the in our podcast archive some of those interviews about those pieces also exist so it's a very they work very well together um barry in terms of in terms of getting i I agree with you that that's one of the greatest things about this project is that people actually were sent to go and and look at what things are looking looking like on the ground and to do on the ground reporting um how did you manage to do that like how how were the people how was that facilitated and how were the what kind of support did you have to give the journalists to make sure that they get what they needed and also that they that they were safe and you know safe and sound well well, Corvus, the actual model that we use with the China Africa Reporting Project is that we, you know, we support the journalist. We provide assistance as much as possible. We fund the journalist to do a feature, but really the journalist still relies on their own initiative and their own, you know, their own ability to write the articles. So, it's really a partnership that we have with the journalists. We have a very open and transparent process for how we actually assign uh, grants and how we engage in our other projects. We invite journalists to submit proposals. We review that and and. Uh, it all goes through the university processes, and this is how this whole process is managed. So it really is a combination or a partnership between the project, uh, the, the reporting project, and the actual journalists going on the ground in Africa. Um, usually what you would find in our, in our experience is that you would have the journalists, they have a story that they want to go and research. You know, they might need some, they, they can use some input, they can use a little bit of editing, they can use a bit of support, and, and most importantly of all, probably they can use some funding from the project. So we provide them with all the, with all the support that we could possibly provide them. And and what we find usually is that the journalists are the ones who are able to actually go on the ground and do the story. They just need a bit of support. They need a bit of funding. They need a bit of guidance. And we provide that to them. And that really is the partnership that we have with these journalists. It relies really a lot lot on them. I just want to quickly um, add something in uh, before we go on, uh, Eric. Um, 
I thought I'd maybe just provide a very quick example of um, what we were talking about. And one of my favorite articles in the book actually is in section three. Um, by the way, an interesting part about the book actually is that um, in keeping with what you said about what we said in the, pref- in the preface, we really try to get um, to tell both sides of the story. We always encourage the journalists you know, to stay away from, from, saying, from trying to tell a one-sided story. It's always important to get, you know, we, we have a lot of stories that we often get about Chinese companies engaging in pollution or, or you know, this sort of thing. And we always encourage the journalists to get the Chinese side from the sto- uh, of the story because there is another side of the story there. So an interesting, um, and one of my favorite parts of the book is really the one in the section called Section 3, Issues of Contention. And this is exactly such a section where the journalists actually went and talked about, so went and researched some of the more problematic areas of the China-Africa engagement. This is stuff like ivory smuggling um, that was written by Huang Hongxiang, a journalist who's currently based in Kenya. Um, and one of my favorites in this section, actually, is an article that's called Sweltering Heat Golden Dreams, Chinese Galamzi in Ghana. And this was written by a Chinese journalist who, is, who received a grant from the project a couple of years back. Um, the Chinese journalist, by the way, is Yang Meng. He's currently based in Beijing. And um, the story, it's, quite one, it's one of the longer pieces in the book, but really it's, it's just fascinating. The guy went and researched the story on the ground in Ghana about this well, I guess we can almost call them a flood of gold miners. And they all came from one area in China that used to be a gold mining area that kind of went bust a little bit. Now all these gold miners went to Ghana. And now, you see, this is an example of what we've been talking about previously, about telling both sides of the story, looking at the complexities, trying to stay away from the overall grand narrative. Because the situation on the ground in Ghana, as explained in this article, is really actually quite complex. You know, it really is a question of... You know, there's now a question of competition because you have these foreigners coming in, but they bring technology with them. And some people, some local miners were concerned that they were bringing some kind of um, uh, uh, pollution with them and environmental damage and with them. But then there's a question with corruption on the, you know, some some local officials. I mean, the story is just incredibly complicated. And it just tells you, you know, it's just one example of this incredibly fascinating and complicated patchwork of that's happening as we speak in the African continent. And that is, you know, just one example of the kind of story that's brought out in this book. Well, you know, I'm familiar with Hong Xiang's reporting and, and, and the work that you guys also did in Ghana, but I guess my key question is, is were these stories written in Chinese for a Chinese audience and published in China? Yes. Yes, they were. Because in this particular case, the stories were written in Chinese. They were translated and then repackaged slightly for this book. Because you and I both know you've lived in China for quite some time. I've lived there for over 10 years, and, and, and I read Chinese uh, every day, Chinese news. And the reporting on Africa is atrocious. Uh, it is simplistic. Uh, it is very much in, in keeping with the party line. There's very little critical reporting, if any. And that's not unique to Africa in particular, because that's Chinese journalism, and particularly under the current kind of environment in China, where Xi Jinping and the government has cracked down even more now, reporting has become even more conservative. And I guess it brings up this question for me as to how an organization like yours defines journalist. It's a really kind of nefarious word in one sense because it's so ambiguous. In Kinshasa, journalism in the DRC is very partisan. There are each of the major factions, political, either be warlords or kind of, you know, corporate factions, has their own media and entity and their own broadcast outlet. The journalism is there to support that party line, much like the European model in some respects. Very, very highly partisan. In China, journalism is done in support of the party. Uh, Journalism is a tool and an extension of the Communist Party. Um, There's no shame in that. They're very public about that. Uh, In the West, people can say a journalist 
is, uh, again, a very vague concept now with podcasters and bloggers, and that's actually an international phenomenon as well. So I guess, how do you define a journalist and journalism in this context where it is so vague depending on what country, what organization, uh, and, and how you report? You know, Eric, I don't think we really we look at it in quite that way. I think we look at it in a slightly different way, in that we look at the content that is produced. Um, we do have a system in place for actually uh, choosing applications, and we do look at who who the applicants are. Obviously, I mean, we we do look at their you know their pedigree as journalists, that what they have done so far. But the the, the the emphasis that we that we place here really is on the approach that are taken by the journalists and the work that is produced. So as we were discussing previously, we have these certain guidelines that we provide for applicants. Like we like we were discussed, we were saying that they you know we we encourage journalists to look for stories on the ground to tell a, to to tell both sides of the story to do um, you know follow basic journalistic ethics of you know you know trying to uh, you know write, write a you know a, um, how can you put it a substantial well researched story. Um, and that really is the emphasis that we place and that we encourage journalists to do that. Kobus, let me now turn the question to you. You're a media scholar and you study Asia-Africa media quite a bit. Um, how do you think we're doing since 2009 and the launch of the China-Africa Reporting Project? And what is the kind of trajectory of coverage and quality of coverage over the past seven years? Well, you know, it's a very wide question, but um, I think I think it it's improved, um, but it's hitting a bunch of other of, of, of different kind of stressors at the moment. Um, I think it's it's improved in the sense that a lot of the very dominant um, kind of dominant myths um, about China Africa relations seem to be seem to be dis, you know kind of dispersing slightly. Really, um, you think so? You know, I I don't see that well, happening. I mean, I you see know, the, it, it the, the neo-colonial you, kind of theme still yeah. there. I see people mistaking trade for investment. China's the largest you know, investor in Africa when it's in fact not. Um, I see a lot of these persistent myths still kind of filtering into the, into the coverage. You're right. You're right. Um, I, I think you know some of them are still around, and they're going to be around for a while. But what I what I was more thinking of is that to a certain extent, the, you know, kind of the, there is a normalisation of of Chinese presence. So you know, kind of a lot of business reporting, for example, is just simply reporting on this company. You know, kind of invested in this. You know, so, so in that sense, it, there is the the kind of sense of surprise and the sense of China in Africa being a, cra- a crazy anomaly and having to be explained over and over, that is, the spe- that is you know, kind of evaporating slightly, I think. Um, so as you say, I think some of the myths are, are staying, um, you know, and there's, there's a lot more work that needs to be done. The other problem, I think, is that, um, is the budgets of, uh, you know, that are related to reporting in Africa. Um, and that, I think, is, is creating some other, you know, kind of a, a new set of problems in the sense that um, now that China-Africa relations are becoming more normal, that it's becoming part of reality and, and, and isn't, isn't kind of drawing a lot of anxiety in the West, there isn't, or there also isn't as much money, I think, you know, kind of to keep pursuing, pursuing kind of new reporting. And I think especially because reporting in Africa is expensive, you know, kind of it's, um, and, you know, so, so I think that is actually part of the problem, you know, kind of we're hitting some kind of economic realities that will need to be kind of overcome in new kind of ways. Barry, let me get a, a take on you from, from this point of view, because I think what you said was very interesting, how a lot of, say, you know, non-Africans will come to Africa and try and 
do the kind of 10,000 meter story. This is the big picture. And what's interesting for Kobus and I, who you know, sit in front of Twitter and Facebook and Google all day posting stories, we're curating kind of stories all day. Uh, you know, I probably posted 15 stories today on China Africa. I find that the local coverage by the kind of Nairobi press or by the Kinshasa press in some ways is the most balanced. And that's a little bit counterintuitive, but what they will report on is this particular infrastructure deal, a very, very small thing, or they will report right, on right. this kind of cultural exchange from, you know, Fujian province sent a delegation to, you know, and, you know Luanda. And, and it's just a very small micro story. And because it's so focused, it doesn't have a lot of the kind of pejorative of, you know, stereotypical kind of baggage that will come with, say, you know, the New York Times correspondent who flew into Angola for the first time to cover China Africa. I'm using the New York right. Times as a, as a whipping boy there. But, um, but you see my point. And I so in some ways, there's been a big expansion of African reporting on the China Africa story. And in some ways, it's more balanced and more accurate than almost anything else that's out there. Uh, Eric, I think that's that's exactly right. Um, in the in the experiences that we've had recently, is we've, we've had a few fascinating reports that are exactly in that vein. A few examples of that is Moses Wasamu, who is a Kenyan journalist, and um, I'm not sure if you guys saw his report, but he actually wrote a lengthy report with a grant that he received from from our project. And his his report um, was published, I think, about a week ago or so in, in uh, online, and it's actually focusing on the Standard Gorge Railway uh, project over there. And he was speaking to all the community. That, or some of the communities that are based on the root of this project and the experiences they, that they've been having with the company, with the contractors, with environmental issues and all these things that are going on there. And really, if you actually read that, you, you get a fascinating perspective. You get a different perspective of what is actually happening on the background of all these big stories, the big deals that are happening. You see this, um, and we have seen this actually in several countries um, and where we have had journalists that are participating in our project. We've seen this, for example, in Zimbabwe a lot recently. Um, there was another journalist who wrote a, who wrote a quite a lengthy report about um, you know certain individual projects that were going on. There's the the uh, there was the uh, loan provided to the city of Harare, for example, and these things that um, I think you guys saw the particular report I'm talking about. This is the sort of thing that I think really sheds a very interesting light on these deals, the way these journalists take one particular issue, one or two particular issues, and then actually go and research what has happened, what were the what were the uh, conditions of the deal, have, has this been implemented. Um, if not, why hasn't this been happening? What were the delays? And what are the impact on people actually in the area? And I think this is something, as you say, that is happening um, in African um, African media and African journalists are doing some uh, are doing some of this. And I think it's a fascinating um, a fascinating um, contribution that these journalists make in this way. Barry, in working with all of these journalists, have you encountered different styles of journalism, like different different philosophies of journalism, I mean, um, coming from Africa, from the West, from, from China? Um, or is it a kind of transnational, everyone really thinks about journalism in the same way, shared culture? Like, like you know, kind of how, how is journalism thought of from, by different journalists from different places? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting question, Corvus. I think um, what 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 I've often found in Africa is that there is a certain there is a certain type of writing that sort of writes about um, uh, how can we put it? Let's say a, a foreign company operating in an African country, and then 
writing on the specifics about what this company or this group or maybe sometimes even this individual does in Africa. It often comes out in questions with uh, projects with, with companies in Africa, certain environmental aspects. That is that is something what often that one often quite quite sees. Um, it's uh, investigations of labor issues, for example, where there's been one or two small incidents that these things are written about. So one often sees this kind of thing where the, the article sort of focuses on the foreign company or the foreign individual operating in Africa and then what they what they are doing. Doing um, in, in in the country, I think that is something that one sees quite often. But um, I don't know. It's an interesting question. Different styles of journalism. Um, it's kind of a hard question to answer. But I think um, um, that at least is one thing that we have seen. I'm curious where you see this going. So for the past seven or eight years now, the the China Africa Reporting Project is traditionally, I, I would assume, I, I haven't gone through your entire alumni, but it seems like you focused mostly on traditional journalists, that is, from radio, print, or TV. And now we're going into, we're in a new age where, you know, here's, you know, a guy in Vietnam and a guy in South Africa doing a podcast that 100,000 people now listen to every month. Um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and that's a new era that we're in, that it's not organizations anymore or, or, or parties or big institutions that are producing journalism, but, you know, individuals. And I'm curious how you see the China-Africa story evolving in an age of user-generated content, in a YouTube age, now that you know, connectivity across Africa is improving incredibly fast. Uh, how will that change the reporting in your mind that there will be more voices coming from more places? Well, I think that um, that um, that was exactly what I was thinking of, and I think the more voices, adding more perspectives, and tying in with uh, really the philosophy of what we are trying to encourage with the project. I mean, that really seems to me that that there's one obvious thing one can point to, you know, that we, one can hear more in the voices of more people and the perspectives of more people and what what people are going through, what people are experiencing on a really uh, a very basic ground level. I think that is something that is going to happen increasingly that we haven't really. Um, seen a lot of before. That is something that is sort of coming in relatively recently. We have a lot of voices from people on real ground level. That is something that I think we will see increasingly. How how do you foresee the the, the medium changing? Like you know, is, is China Africa reporting project planning to to kind of move into into other kinds of media? Um, say for example you know, kind of different kinds of uh, social media um, and, and other other formats of, of sharing information. Is, is Do you foresee any kind of, um, kind of expansion beyond the traditional long-form article or, you know, kind of TV documentary, that, that kind of format? Well, Corbis, actually what we do at the project is one, one of the core goals, we have about, um, we, we have actually a few six or seven things that we actually the objectives that we strive to achieve with the project. One of this is to create an international network of journalists and media media people and have these people increasingly on a cross-continental basis interacting with each other and supporting and engaging with each other. So we do this not only in providing grants for long-form journalism or other forms of journalism, we actually do this by actually directly facilitating engagement between these people, uh, journalists of different continents. So one of the ways that we are doing this is um, we do reporting tours of uh, African journalists to China and China journalists to Africa, and we've been doing these tours for quite a few years now already. And we actually have um, we have one of them coming up uh, this year as well um, in late October, early November. We have a tour of African journalists who are going to China and are going to be hosting at the going to be hosted at the uh, China University of Communication. Um, and we also have a tour planned for later in the year for 
where we're going to have Chinese journalists coming to Africa and engaging with local journalists. So um, we try and do this in as many ways as we possibly can. You know, we don't we don't just support journalists to actually do journalism. We actually we actually also support and provide a, a platform for journalists of, of Africa and China to engage with each other via these other ways as well. Well, the book is called Trailblazers, the Best of the Vits China Africa Reporting Project 2009-2014. Barry, when uh, is it coming out and how can people get it if they want it? Well, uh, Eric, it's already out. It's been out for, for, for a month or so, and it is actually available for download um, on our website. And we can provide that link uh, maybe just in a little bit. But actually, the, webs- uh, the, the, the book is available for download, or alternatively, it can be read in individual sections. All the articles can be read in their four sections in HTML format as well. Um, so it's all there. It's on the website. Fantastic. And the actual website, maybe I should just give the link. Go um, ahead. The actual website is uh, china africa dash reporting.co.za. There we go. And we'll put a, a, a link to the book in our show notes. Let me, I mean, I was just perusing through it. Again, Cobus and I have had a lot of the people. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you will recognize uh, a lot of the contributors to, to the book. But it is just fantastic. And it is a very unique piece of writing in the sense that, again, you get all of these different voices uh, from China, from Africa, and from uh, international uh, all together in one spot. My only complaint and I'll just put a minor complaint, and this is my bigger media critique as well, is that we're not hearing enough Arabic North African voices in this discussion. That's just my, that's my one kind of observation, both in terms of the book, but also in the broader discussion about media coverage, that there still is very much a definition of Africa as being sub-Saharan. But, uh, you know, that's... Yeah, and I, Eric, just sorry to interrupt you, that's actually a problem that we face in the podcast as well. It is. is it's... There's, there's surprisingly <laughs> few people who, who work on North Africa-China relations, and most of them who do it work in French um, and, and, you know, kind of are not comfortable in English or they work in Arabic and they're not comfortable in English. And it's really... And or sometimes North Africa is simply lumped in with West Asia, you know, kind of, and it's just not counted as Africa at all. And strategically... Um, so all of those are difficult It, it is, and it's strategically... So it's a criticism of us as well. I mean, it's a problem in the, the overall kind of industry, if you will, that this is a massive part of the world that is tr- strategically incredibly important that is uh, not overlooked, but underreported and undercovered. So it's something that I hope all of us will be able to do a better job uh, going forward. So Barry, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on the book. It's fantastic. Uh, if people want to follow also what, uh, what you guys are doing at the, the China Africa Reporting Project, what's another way that they can stay in touch with you guys? Uh, well, um, as I mentioned, the website is uh, is one way. Um, another way to do it, maybe more directly, is in uh, on Twitter. We have a China uh, a, a, a Twitter handle for the project, and that can be found at uh, at Vits China Africa. Um, all one word, and they can find us on Twitter um, at that handle. Excellent. That's uh, Vits, uh, W-I-T-S, uh, for those of you who are not from that part of the world. Uh, I think a lot of Americans are probably thinking it's V-I-T-S, so I just need to clarify that for my right. people. Uh, and Kobus, uh, where can people follow you if they want to stay in touch with what you're reading and writing these days? Um, you'll see me on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash China Africa Project, um, where we curate the steady stream of, of China Africa updates. Um, and also I'm on Twitter at Stadnesque. That's S-T-A-D-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And in addition to Facebook, which we're doing 24 hours a day now, Kobus there in South Africa, me over here in Asia, uh, we also have a fantastic, and we're very proud of this, uh, weekly email newsletter that we put four or five different stories out. So if you're really not up for the full, 
you know, f- you know, the full feed of uh, what we're doing on Twitter and Facebook. This is a great way to get a little appetizer of China Africa news. Uh, we also have relaunched our mobile apps. Those are back out again, so on Android and on iOS. And finally, if you want to subscribe to this podcast, best way to do it, follow us on either the China File website, that's the Asia Society's excellent Chinese uh, news and current affairs and opinion website. Look for us under the China Africa Project, or please head over to iTunes and just look for us under China and Africa. And if you could leave a little bit of a comment or a rating, that would help other people find it, and we'd really appreciate that. So we'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.